Today, we will be speaking with Stephen Kozlowski. He'll get us started with an introduction, then we'll jump to the talk about loan loss provisions. Enjoy. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, my name is Stephen Kozlowski. I'm an assistant professor of finance at Fairfield University. This is my sixth year there currently, so I'm up for tenure this year. Prior to that, I was at UConn in Stores, Connecticut for five years. And that's where I earned my PhD in finance. And then prior to that, so, uh, you know, a lot of the topic that we'll talk about today is kind of banking related. And so that's a lot, a lot of where my motivation for some of my research stemmed from was uh, prior to going to UConn, I worked as a federal regulator for the National Credit Union Administration. So it's essentially just an, a federal agency that insures U.S. credit unions. What is a discretionary loan loss provision and what is its purpose for banks? Yeah, so let me start off. I'll just talk briefly about what is a loan loss provision and then I'll clarify like what is discretionary versus non-discretionary. So loan loss provisions are essentially just accruals. Um, so this is a case just for anyone who's, any listeners who are unfamiliar and accrual is really just when you record a revenue or expense, but there's no actual cash being paid out or collected. Um, so in this example, um, in this case for banks, the loan loss provision expense is one of the biggest accruals for banks. So if you think about a bank balance sheet, uh, talking commercial banks here, one of the biggest assets that the bank holds on its balance sheet is a portfolio of loans. Right. They make mortgage loans, auto loans, personal loans, credit card loans. And so this is their primary accounts receivable, right? So this is what the bank has to try and go out and collect from all the people that it lent money to. So what a loan loss provision is, is it's just an estimate of how much of the loans won't be paid back and how much won't be collected. So for instance, if you have a bank, say they have a portfolio of loans on their balance sheet that's $100 billion, what they're going to do, what they have to do by uh, gap accounting standards, is they have to estimate what percentage of that $100 billion in loans won't be collected and paid back. So you know, maybe they run some statistical analysis, they use their loss history, they analyze their loans, and they come to a conclusion that, okay, we. Our best guess is that three billion out of a hundred won't be repaid. So under accounting standards, that has to be expensed in the current period. So that is the loan loss provision expense. It's how much of the loan portfolio do you expect not to be collected? And you're recognizing the expense today, even though you might actually collect all the loans, right? They might not default. And so that's where it gets into the whole discretionary versus non-discretionary part because obviously this is somewhat sub subjective, right? There's no, it's not an exact science. They're building statistical models to predict how many loans won't be collected, but conditions can change, assumptions can change. And if management made a different set of assumptions, they could potentially justify a different loan loss expense amount. And so that's like, ideally, 
the purpose of it is to reflect the true health of the bank and to kind of provide unique information about the loan portfolio and its health. Um, but it can also be kind of abused, right? Like you can get a bank that maybe is really conservative in its estimates, but you can also get some that are aggressive in their estimates and try to underreport what is actually likely to be uncollectible, right? So then if you go back to my example, say instead of predicting $3 billion in defaults, we only predict $2 billion in defaults if we can justify that. Uh, that's essentially going to lower your expenses for the period by $1 billion, right? Because you went from three to two. Uh, so that would both inflate income, it would make the balance sheet look stronger, it would uh, preserve regulatory capital in some instances. And so there's a lot of benefits or a lot of incentives a bank might have to try and, you know, either increase or decrease their loan loss provision expense. And so in our study and a lot of prior studies, we do differentiate between what's non-discretionary, meaning what's truly supportable and what's discretionary, meaning what's just, uh, what's kind of an excess loan loss provision expense where they reported too high of an amount or too low of an amount. But of course that's, that's also sub somewhat subjective and subject to how well we can actually model it. Can you touch on why a bank would report too much or too little of a loan loss provision? Yeah, sure. That's a good question. So um, there's a number of objectives that banks might use to, you know, some discretion in this reporting. Uh, one of the common ones that people like to look out for is income smoothing. So if you're, say you're publicly traded, so you're, you know, you have investors, uh, it makes your bank look a lot less risky if your income is more consistent. So if you have strong earnings, maybe you're more willing to record an expense. Whereas if you have low earnings and you're already reporting, say a small positive gain or maybe even a loss, you don't really want to pile on too many additional expenses. So they might, one area a bank could cut back is it could just revise its loan loss provision downwards. Again, presuming it can justify it, presuming it could uh, convince regulators that it's you know supportable. So that's that's one in, instances income smoothing. Uh, I actually have a, a study that I'm currently working on on credit unions. They kind of function, you know, in many ways in a similar manner manner to commercial banks. And so we show evidence that they use it to preserve capital, right? Because banks have capital requirements that have to have a certain amount of equity on their balance sheet. And one way you can preserve that is you just uh, report a lower expense. So if you can justify it, you can potentially, you know, increase your regulatory capital and smooth your earnings. So that's, those are a couple of reasons why you might have a, a discretionary element to it. How are discretionary loan loss provisions related to the expected future performance of a bank? Yeah, so that's a lot of what I touch on in one of my dissertation chapters, which is co-authored with uh, Shantaram Hegde. Uh, 
And so um, what we show in the study is that the discretionary loan loss provision amount, meaning the kind of abnormal amount, it sends a positive signal in good economic times and a negative signal in bad economic times. And that's, I think that's kind of intuitive, actually. The main reason I think our study was interesting is because one, no one had ever shown this before. And two, some of the prior studies like actually found somewhat slightly different results. Uh, but ours, we take a pretty long sample and we show that when the economy is strong, uh, discretionary loan loss provisions actually predict uh, good economic outcomes for the banks in the future. So the banks tend to report higher earnings in the future. They have higher net interest income. They tend to grow loans more quickly. And I think some of that is kind of intuitive. It kind of relates to like this a signaling effect. So basically what I think the underlying mechanism might be, and this is kind of what we try to get at in the study, is if you have banks that are kind of adjusting their credit policies, looking to take on more risk, maybe looking to give out more loans, but do so in a prudential way, uh, a lot of times you'll see those banks record uh, more loan loss provisions. And so to some extent, it might just reflect actions of the bank and what they're trying to do and what they're trying to achieve. And on top of that, if they do take more loan loss provisions, then it's essentially telling investors and regulators and everyone that they're essentially well-prepared to deal with any loan defaults because when they record these loan loss provisions, it acts as a reserve. They, they can essentially charge off the loans in the future or recognize that they're not gonna be paid back. And it's not like this sudden hit to income or to capital. So that's why we see like a positive effect in good times. And in bad times, I think the result is almost even more intuitive. Uh, during bad economic times, so, so when GDP growth is low, when we have you know low consumer sentiment, low investor sentiment, you know, when when things are just not going that well in the economy, higher loan loss provisions we find are associated with worse future performance among banks, so, and I think that makes sense, right? If you have more loan loss provisions during bad times, typically that's when default risk is the highest. So a lot of those will turn into actual defaults, right? Because the loan loss provision is just an estimate of defaults. So often they do materialize when economic times are bad. And also you might see a lot of the banks being hesitant to report conservatively, right? They don't want to report too many loan loss provisions when they're already kind of struggling, when the economy is doing poorly. So what tends to happen is if they're over-reporting or reporting a really higher amount than you would have expected, often it's because things actually are really bad, right? We don't know what quality of loans each bank has, but if the outcomes are kind of worse than you'd expect and the delinquencies are worse than you'd expect. Um, you know, and the collateral is potentially weaker than you'd expect. 
then you'll see those banks take higher provision expenses and it'll be associated with really bad outcomes in the future. So we, we show that in bad times, banks with high loan loss provisions and high discretionary loan loss provisions actually report higher increases in non-performing loans in the future. So, um, so that's kind of the, a conditional relationship that we show. And that's like the main focus of our study. How is discretionary loan loss provision relevant in relation to the performance of banks, specifically during the 2008 financial crisis? Yeah, so in 2008, 2008 is really just, I would say the most extreme example of a bad economic climate during our sample period. So here, what you'd expect to find is you'd expect a, a much stronger and more pronounced negative market reaction to loan loss provisions. And we indeed find that, that that is the case. So both discretionary and non-discretionary loan loss provisions during 2008 were valued very negatively by the market. So if you look at stock prices, stock prices just plunged for banks in general. But for the ones that had high loan loss provisions, they fell much more precipitously. And this is consistent with just investors in the market saying, you know, if you're forecasting high loan defaults at this time, well, we believe that you have a lot of really problematic loans. And, you know, our natural guess, or at least my natural guess, having worked on the regulatory side, is that that might only be the tip of the iceberg. Like they might have a lot worse conditions than they're even reporting. Uh, I, I, I know if you read a lot of the financial literature in banking, you know, a lot of people talk about this concept of regulatory forbearance and things of that nature where, you know, regulators allowed banks some degree of flexibility or leniency during 2008, just so things won't get too bad and the markets might not overreact. So if that's the case and you're still reporting really high loan loss provisions, like higher than what investors would even expect, well, then it could just mean that things are actually that bad and that you have this big wave of defaults that are kind of, you know, on the near-term horizon. So, uh, so yeah, we do find a, real, a much more strong stock price response to high loan loss provisions. It's definitely a number that anyone investing in the banking sector is looking at during times like that. Due to the banking reform that followed the 2008 financial crisis, was loan loss provisions and the reporting of them in any way affected? That's a good question. Um, so I'd say not immediately afterwards, but there was a lot of legislation in the works or a lot of proposed changes. And one of the big ones, there actually has been a big change, actually, even since the study has been published. Um in the way that banks report loan loss provisions. So probably the, the biggest change and one of the most major changes in recent history for loan loss provisioning is there was a new standard, which I believe was approved in 2016, I wanna say, but it wasn't actually implemented until 2020 for a lot of banks, which is they moved to a current expected credit losses model they abbreviate it as CECL, it's called CECL for short. And what this kind of was aimed at was fixing some of the problems in the, in the whole um, 
financial crisis and the, with the way banks record provisions. One of the main criticisms, if you go back, was that loan loss provisions were too reactionary. Like they were almost backward looking and they weren't predictive enough. They weren't forward looking. And so you got this kind of extreme variation over the business cycle where you'd have really low reserves, really low predicted losses after long stretches of good times. But then at some point you'd hit a crisis and banks would be like completely under-reserved for it. They would have just low uh, provisions, low loan loss provisions set aside. And so the, the change that they implemented with the new CECL standard looks to kind of counteract that. It looks to make it more forward-looking so you can use more, uh, more judgment and more subjective factors in your estimation of future credit losses. Because in the past, if you were to forecast, say you have $100 billion in loans and you were to forecast, how many of those loans won't be collected? The problem with prior standards is oftentimes your estimate of the future was just based on your historical past. Uh, which is why we often refer to it as the incurred loss model. It's how many losses have you actually incurred that you can like verify. And so th that was the problem. If you had a really long good stretch, your loss history would be low. And so you'd be forecasting really low losses, even if we know that at some point the business cycle is going to kind of revert. So that's one of the changes, one of the major changes that is gone in place in terms of US gap and how it applies to banks. And so it'll be interesting to see actually what happens over the next few years.